Welcome to Team Perry's Step Out of Line podcast, featuring co-hosts Perry and Lori Finkelstein. Together, they explore, meet, and share inspirational stories with guests who have made a positive impact in today's world. This podcast resonates with our hope to make this world a better place one step at a time through love, acceptance, and uplifting conversations. Daniel Arie, who's an actor, is also apparently a ballroom dancer, but we yeah. were about you that you started your life, and I don't know whether it started after high school or not, but you were with the Air Force and a pilot for five years. Very interesting. So we want to hear all about how you went from one total extreme, then got into acting and ballroom dancing, of course, with Dancing with the Stars. I've done a lot of interesting things, I think, interesting to me things in my life. Um, that's probably the reason why I'm not amazing at any one thing. I've just done so many things. Um, I wanted to be a pilot when I was a little kid. I saw Top Gun, thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Um, my parents said, hey, you got to go be an Air Force pilot then. Uh, so I went to the Air Force Academy, got my degree, went to pilot training, got my wings, flew for, I guess, four or five years. Um, I was actually, I was medically discharged from the military and had to figure out what the heck I was going to do. I was studying for the LSAT to go to law school when a, a recruiting firm found me and brought me into the, the business world as a trucking um, director of sales, which of all things, uh, did that for a while. I had my own startup that I sold. And all the whole time, all I could think about was um, the acting I did in high school and college that I loved and I missed. And I dipped my toes back into it because um, it's funny, very serendipitous. In Las Vegas, which was my first real duty station as a pilot, I was staying with a, a family. You know, I had just um, purchased a home and I was waiting for escrow to close. And uh, the Jewish high holidays had started. And so I needed a place to stay. And this family that I had gotten close to at the Chabad around the corner from my house and you know, not too far from their house um, had offered to put me up and I became close to the family. And the wife, um, out of the blue, you know, months later, you know, she and I became good friends. She said, uh, Danny, there's a group on for unlimited ballroom dance lessons for a month. You gotta go with me. I said, what are you, crazy? Go with your husband. And she said, he doesn't wanna go. So after, I don't know, a month of, of, of prodding, she finally controls me and conv convinces me to go. So funny. And it's very bizarre. Right. And yeah. <laughs> very bizarre. And, you know, to start in my 20s and so randomly. So she and I went just, as, you know, we're just friends and uh, did a class. I think it was a tango class and a group class. And I was like, this is pretty fun. You know, next day, I think we did cha-cha and waltz or something. And before long, you know, I think within about a month, I was taking private lessons. And within about three months, I did my first competition, which I was terrible. Um, and then within five months, I had an amateur partner and was competing uh, pretty, was pretty focused on my competition. And that's, um, I was still in the Air Force as a pilot. And that's how I garnered the name uh, Swayze is like my call sign. They thought I was, they're making fun of me. I was, I was like, that's the coolest call sign ever. Right, it is. Uh, <laughs> And so I, I just kept going uh, more and more. And I've been, you know, COVID's actually obviously been pretty tough, but uh, I just love the Latin American style of ballroom dance. It's just um, fantastic. And 
Um, it's been just such a great honor and pleasure to, to learn. It's really a, a, an interesting discipline that has evolved over so many years and so many amazing people who have put so much time and effort and money into learning and teaching. And um, I've been fortunate to, to, to be able to dance. And um, along the way, I started, you know, I, would, I, I was scared to dip back into the, inter, into, into the acting world because it's, you know, people are four years old and they grow up with it and do it their whole lives. And, you know, I did it in high school and college. And I don't think I was particularly amazing, but it's what I wanted to do. So I now they have these casting websites. You can put up your profile and mm -hmm. you got to talk to as many people as you can to try and find an agent because you can't even go on auditions unless you have an agent. And you just try to be creative and try to have fun. And I started finding that, people wanted to watch some of my stuff on Instagram, which I got to get back to. Um, I liked creating little bits of content and um, look, I'm, I'm not a working actor. I don't know if anyone's a working actor right now, but uh, you know, working towards, towards uh, getting on screen and doing, you know, playing some interesting characters and learning how to be better, um, a better listener too, which is I think an interesting part of acting that I don't know if a ton of people talk about it. You say that taking that first ballroom dancing class, would that be you stepping out of line, literally? Something that you thought you never would do? Or is there is there another part of your life? Um, I mean, my whole life has kind of been stepping out of line. Um, that, that I'm a habitual out of the line stepper. Um, I would say yes. I would say the biggest, the bigger one, look, I, I, I'm not always the guy who, who I, I get in trouble a lot because I, I think it's important to stick to what you think is right, uh, morally, ethically, your values, and assuming your values are good values. And, you know, I remember I was in training as a young lieutenant just out of the Air Force Academy, and it was in Alabama. Yeah, I was in Alabama. I was stationed in Mississippi. I was going to Alabama for a couple of weeks of training. And I was a pretty observant Jew at the time. And uh, it was the winter, I think it was February time frame. And at that time, the sun sets pretty darn early. So the duty day in the military is generally 7.30 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. But this is training. And training, it was office work. It wasn't field training or anything. And I remember we ended that day, that Friday, at um i don't know 3 15 or something p.m maybe 3 30 and i had asked the captain who was in charge i said look sir um i know it's not 4 30 yet but as we kind of discussed it's shabbat it's an important holiday for me every week and um the sunset's pretty early i'd love to you know if i could go back to my room shower up and go meet a family i was gonna have dinner with and he was adamant no you don't get to go and he even took the time to, to stop and he looks to the rest of the class. There's about 20 of us and says, I just want to remind everyone, this is military training. We're to be here till 4.30. You can't come in and work on Sundays and make up the time. You're here till 4.30. And I, I, I was, it was almost like he was trying to embarrass me, but I, I won't put that on him. I don't know what, is in, what was in his heart. But I said, I looked at him, I said, sir, with all due respect, I have to go. I have to, to keep Shabbat. And he just kind of, you know, nodded a little bit. And I scurried back to my room, showered up. Funny enough, a young couple, um, the, the guy was a captain in the Air Force, or I think he was also a lieutenant in the Air Force, an observant Jew, married, 
he was in a similar training, but in a different unit and his unit had allowed him to go. So I was going over to their apartment for, for Shabbat. So I sat and, you know, had the meal then, had the meal the next day. And funny enough, after Shabbat ended, I pick up my phone and I see that I'd gotten calls from all these different officers, a colonel who was in charge of me had said, you know, we're sending security forces, basically the police after you. It was pretty intense. Right. And that Monday I get called in and I have to go into um, a three-star general's office. He was in charge of, uh, I believe it was Air Education and Training Command, all of the training in the Air Force. It's a pretty big deal. You know, his, his office was the size of my, my house at the time. Um, I don't even think I'm exaggerating. Seemed like a very nice guy, very respectful. Um, ultimately, though, he gave me what's called a letter of, I think it was a letter of admonishment, which is not great for an officer to have, especially that early on in their career. He said, you know, you, you defied orders and you left your, your duty station without permission. And um, you'll know better not to do that next time. And looking back on it, I, I still have it framed somewhere in the house um, because I, I felt like what I did was right. It was way out of line by military standards, but to me, it was just the right thing to do. And I wouldn't advocate anyone else do the same. Um, but for me, it was the right decision. And it really, it was way out of line, but it taught me a lot in, about what I truly value. And um, as one of my rabbis says, and he gets from his rabbi, you know, and probably from Shawshank Redemption, you know, get busy living or get busy dying. So you got to know what, what you stand for. If you're not, if you don't know what you're willing to die for, then, then what, what are you living for? Um, you carry that lesson probably in everything that you do in life, how, how you approach your personal relationships and how you approach your business relationships also, I'm sure. Um, you know, with that strong backbone, whether you were still as religious as you were then, just knowing that you can stick it up for yourself and you're not going to cave. I mean, that's an yeah. amazing attribute. And, when, and I find that people generally respect that. I think when you stick to your guns, you know, assuming it is the hill you, you as they say, want to die on, if you stick to your guns, you do it in a respectful manner. You do it in a polite manner, but I find that people respect that. Usually, um, I think that situation had I not stuck to my guns and caved and just, you know, said these were my values but didn't hold true to them, I think it would have been a different scenario. I think it would have ended much more poorly, or much poorer because I just think people respect you when you stick to your guns. Right. They might not understand it, but they understand right. the values that you hold, that you are sticking to them. I get that. Right, right. That's what? You have to follow your heart. Right. You have to follow your heart. And you have to I totally agree. The strength. Interesting. That's, um, that's probably one of the best um, scenarios we heard when somebody stepped out of line. How you <laughs> that aligned, but you really didn't. You really just stood, stood straight and tall. That's right. It, it, it wasn't fun. I can tell you that. It, looking back, it's interesting, but it, it wasn't fun. No, it wasn't comfortable. It was the most probably uncomfortable no. time of your life, but you did it. Um, Very, would, yeah. would you do it at, at the age you are now and knowing what you know, would you do it again exactly the same way or would you have? Oh, that is a that's a, a very difficult question. I mean, with, with hindsight, Oh, that, that's a tough question because knowing that it, it didn't end miserably, I didn't ruin my career, 
and knowing that it only impacted me a little bit at that base I was at or that I was going back to after training and then I was going to a different base so it didn't impact me a ton but it definitely had an impact so it's it's tough um I'd like to think I would it's easy to say that I, I'd like to think I would do it again that way I'm wondering if if um religious Jews because there are still a few who are in the army and and I know of one I've been following on Facebook for a while even sent like a care package to him um who strictly <laughs> abide by the laws and, um, you know, do whatever they can do. And they, you know, security is, I think a big deal was he was finally allowed to wear a yarmulke, um, mm. you know, under his hat or whatever. And I know it's, it's still a struggle. People just, you know, they don't understand, but for you to stick to your guns, I think everybody out there can, can learn from that because whether it's going to be in your situation of the air force or, you know, in anything, you stick to your guns and, you know, as a Jew, I think to identify yourself as a Jew and, and be willing to, you know, die for it and stand for it. That's like the, the biggest thing that you can ever do, I think, in your life. So it's a big lesson, Daniel. Well, in, in pilot training, I, I wore a yarmulke all the time and I'm and it was the deep South. It was Mississippi. And I was wearing a yarmulke all the time and everyone on base was not, not, um, of the cultural milieu of, of Mississippi because there were military officers and enlisted personnel from all over. But I would go out to the flight line and I would always get made fun of. Funny enough, I would always wear my flight helmet walking out to the flight line, which is kind of a no-no in the Air Force, not for any safety reason. It's just not cool. Right. And, um, and the Navy does it because they're on an aircraft carrier and you can't have stuff flying around. So they wear their helmets to the plane. So I always got made fun of for that. Um, people didn't know that often that I had a yarmulke, you know, underneath and that I wore the helmet so the yarmulke wouldn't fly into a jet engine. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, look, I, I struggle with with how to observe and the things I hold, you know, that are most important to me, getting back into Kashras and um, it, it's a challenge. I think it, as a Jew, at least a, a Jew at any level, has their own personal demons and challenges and that's sort of I think that's kind of the point um and so uh it was it was interesting yeah I'll say that wow so what are you what are you doing now work-wise I know uh they're not really filming or maybe they started filming things again but um I saw you had some really amazing shows that you were linked to uh one of them was Barry oh. another one was was Deuce which I don't remember seeing you on that I just rem I watched that series I think like in a week and it was like a big blur for me um, amazing. So uh, some pretty interesting projects that you've been involved with. What uh, What's up next for you or what are you doing now? Oh man. Yeah, I mean some of the stuff, often stuff you'll find gets cut. Um, the Deuce I, I played, I don't even know what the role was called, but it was, it was interesting because I, I've often gotten bumped. I've done background stuff and I get what they call bumped to a principal role. Um, I'm fortunate, I, I, I don't know. But it's interesting. I got to meet James Franco on that set, and seeing him direct, as opposed to just act, was was fascinating. But um, I mean, look, you know, a lot of production shut down. It's hard enough to to get a work as a as an actor unless you're a name, and even then, there are massive periods of time where there's just downtime. I, and it always resonated with me when I, I think I saw an interview or read an interview rather with Jeremy Renner who. I think he's an Academy Award winner at this point. Um, you might know him from the Avengers or the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, he plays a uh, Hawkeye. And 
a friend of mine, where one of my mentors was in um, acting class with him years ago and is blown away by how amazing he's gotten just by putting the work in. But anyway, in the interview, they, I think it was Vogue, they asked him, you know, Jeremy, I, it's my understanding that aside from acting, you have a side hustle as a house flipper, that you buy these houses, you gut them and you flip them like very high end houses, you know, turnkey. And he said, you, I do that, but you don't understand. That's not my side hustle. My side hustle has always been acting. And it, it resonates because I, I think for most actors, and unless they get to maybe that Brad Pitt level, are you're they're always you've got to always have something else to not just put food on the table but to keep you occupied that you enjoy leverage the business my, my business degree or almost business degree to to trade stocks and um, thank god do pretty well at, um, at it and it, it's fun and um, i'm also you know developing a podcast with a buddy who's a physical therapist because you know why not do a podcast everyone else is doing it and we right. enjoy talking to each other so um yeah, I mean, look, I, I'm always looking for the next venture. I've thought about starting a, some sort of production company because, you know, why not? It's LA. Everyone has a production company. Um, I like producing content. Um, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, I, I got engaged in, what was it? I guess in February. Oh, right before things started getting, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, right before things started getting crazy. So um, my fiance and I have just been kind of preparing for the wedding and that takes who knew that they're preparing a, a wedding in normal times took you know 12 hours a day right. <laughs> in in these COVID times it's you know four times as many phone calls trying to understand different situations so it's a good basing out of there but I I, I ran one marathon the the um, Nashville Country Music Marathon and it was a thunderstorm going on. So they cut, they tried to cut us short, but I was getting mine in. So they cut us off at like, I think the mile 20. So I just kind of looped back and forth, back and forth up the track until my little heart rate thing said that I had done 26.2. Oh and I remember doing a marathon. I'm not a runner. Um, you know, I, I've got big, big legs built for like power, you know, like, um, like dancing. And so for me to run one mile, 26 miles, 100 miles, it's all, all the same incredibly challenging thing. So anybody who's even starting training on a marathon, it's like, kolakavod, that it is, a, it is not easy.